quick, come in. The trailers are starting. And it's the cinema crew with Village Cinemas. It is an all-star cast in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Rick Dalton. That's my stunt double. Actors do a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here helps carry the load. Sounds like a good friend. I try. <laughs> here comes trouble. If you don't beat him, he kills you. Not when Rick Dalton's got a shotgun. And four-legged friends in a dog's journey. My name is Bailey, and this is my girl, CJ. Hmm, there's nothing in that cup. Come on, bacon. Come on, bacon. Eh, it's not bacon, but I'll take it. I've lived a lot of lives as a lot of different dogs, and no matter how many lives it took, I would be there for CJ. Because I'm gonna stand by you. Somewhere in the world, there might be someone looking out for me. CJ, I found you. Oh, hello. It's like he chose you. There's a lot you don't know about that dog. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell, but you can call me Cambo. And joining me as always is Vari McIntyre. Hello. Now, Dan Miranda is not here this week, but joining us all the way from Village Cinema's Fountain Gate is Maddie Varco. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Now, your chance to win a gold class double pass coming up just a little later on. But first, you uh, come in and watch my show. I just figured we would. I got a six pack in the back. Thought we'd order a pizza. Here I come. Oh, here I come. <laughs> this year, I'm Britton Dalton. And that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. In a town of make believe, I'm Sharon Tate. I play the Klutz. Things. Can I help you? Are about to get real. I guess this ain't the best situation. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in cinemas August 15. Quentin Tarantino has an impressive resume and a cult-like following of dedicated film students. But he has publicly stated many times that he only plans to make 10 films in his career. Well, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood brings him all the way up to number nine. So for all those hungry for more Quentin Tarantino originality that is in increasingly short supply, Vari, will this film satisfy? This one is a little different for Tarantino. It uh, it doesn't feel like any of his other films, so it is very interesting. I have a theory on that, which I'll get to a little later. Yeah. Mm. It is very interesting to see him do something slightly uh, less violent uh, <laughs> and dark. It's got a very um, happy overtone to it. It's very comical. Almost satirical as well. Yeah. It's a fictionalised retelling of the 1969 Manson family murders, but it's through the lens of a fading Western TV star called Rick Dalton who lives next to Sharon Tate. So it's not about the Manson murders, but it's like this crossover with the events. Yeah, they're kind of happening simultaneously and Rick Dalton and uh, his buddy uh, played by Brad Pitt, who is his stunt double called Cliff Booth, they keep accidentally intertwining with the events of the Manson murders. And you're right, because it's not about the Manson murders, but I will say I think the more you know about them, the more you do get out of this film. And normally we kind of say the opposite. You don't need to know that much. Yeah. But there is something in knowing what occurred there, and, you know, there's plenty of podcasts, true crime podcasts about what happened. The more you know about that, the more satisfying I think this movie kind of is. Yes, and considering how much there is about it, I hardly knew anything. Yeah, that, that may, amazes me. <laughs> so, like, I knew of it. Yeah. And I knew maybe some names and, I mean, there are so many murders in America. How can you keep up? <laughs> so <laughs> I went in with less information and I was perhaps getting 
confused or like, oh, who's that? Are we supposed to know what's happening? I don't understand why he's gone with this angle. The angle being it's not really about it, but it just sort of like crossovers. So I got it, I think, on a different level right. than other people who may know a bit more about the events. Yeah. I listened to a um, true crime podcast about it before seeing it. So I kind of knew what happened and I thought Tarantino was just going to keep it simple, but knowing mm. he like yeah, never yeah. does. So <laughs> yeah. it, it just, yeah. I, yeah I, it, it's that classic Tarantino thing of like, okay, he's doing something about Sharon Tate and the Manson murders. Oh, no, it's not straightforward. It's actually no, about a yeah. fading country, like a Western film star mm. and his stunt man best friend and their intertwining <laughs> connection to that event. Yeah, that's the Tarantino way to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think for the longest time a lot of people thought that Leo was actually going to be playing Charles Manson because mm. photos came out of him um, middle of last year of him with like a wig on. And everyone's like, oh, my God, is it actually going to be like a normal story? No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's got the parallel storylines like Pulp Fiction did, but with a twist on a historical event like Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. So in that way, if you are a Tarantino fan, you will be satiated, I guess, with his style of storytelling because it does draw on a lot of his other films. And what really worked in this film for me is I am such a nerd for Hollywood history. Mm. And this has so much great, uh, like, Hollywood history in it. Uh, my favourite thing in film school was always, like, the film histories class and the idea that in the 60s the new wave of Hollywood was coming in and the Westerns as a genre, like superhero movies are today, I guess, were dying out because there was such a huge bubble and everything in Hollywood was Westerns, 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 and then suddenly they just weren't. And that's it's kind of set in that very specific piece of Hollywood time, like, mm that I, I just really loved just how one, how spot on all of the recreations where there's a lot of weird asides in this movie where they'll just <laughs> show part of a movie or they'll show part of a TV show. And there's, they're really, really spot on for that time period. But it's actually why he takes some liberties with history like he normally does in Inglourious Bastards and whatnot. He's really accurate with all the information about mm. Hollywood at that time. And I thought that I, I really liked that section. Here I come. Smooth league. You're goddamn right. In a town of make-believe, things are about to get real. Charlie's going to dig you. Once upon a time in Hollywood. There's a scene in which there has to be a lot of exposition, right? A character has to explain who three different characters are in their relationship to one another. And there's no really good way to do it. So Quentin Tarantino just has Steve McQueen explain it. That's his way of getting around. All right, well, she used to be married to him, but now she's dating him and this, this, and this which in a normal movie is a really tricky thing that bogs down the thing. But his whole thing is, well, well I'm, in, I'm in 1969 Hollywood. I was going to film start to do it. Yeah, there was some interesting uses of voiceover as well at the beginning and then it's a really long film, so right <laughs> at the end it comes back in again and it's not a voiceover narrative film. No. So that kind of really stuck out to me. Also voiceover uh, by Kurt Russell who does appear in the film as a character mm. and it's kind of like, is his character narrating it or is that just a disembodied narrator? Because it is the same actor. For me personally, the third act was the strongest yes. because obviously yeah. this runtime is extremely long 
and it didn't help that we were seeing it at the Astor Theatre and it was just very <laughs> all the seats were very small we're all crammed mm-hmm. together but yeah I think the third act really made me like this film a lot more because I'm not the biggest Tarantino fan I know controversial <laughs> um, but I, I honestly it, this was one of the films of his that I have enjoyed more because I think the third act really just went for it and he stopped caring and I was like amazing he's gonna do this and this is what's happening yeah well I thought that was interesting as well because we both went into it and you were like no oh, I'm not a big fan I was like yeah I'm a I'm a pretty big fan and then I didn't like it as much as you did. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's pretty funny. Big fan of Leo though. I mean, aren't we all? See, I put it right in the middle of Tarantino movies for me, somewhere Mm. around Django Unchained. Maybe maybe just below Django Unchained. Mm, Um, My favourite is Inglourious Bosses, just in case anyone's wondering. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I'd say it's mid-tier. I'd say his lowest is Death Proof because that's not very good. And his best, I I personally, is Inglourious Bosses, so probably Pulp Fiction. It's somewhere right there in the middle because he's never lazy as a filmmaker. You can tell that he's very reliant on some things that have worked for him before as well. And that's kind of evident sometimes as well. Like making characters kind of like the flawed in this tragic way is something that he has a lot. And Brad Pitt's character has this kind of wrinkle about his character that gets mentioned once or twice and then never comes up again. And it kind of puts you weirdly like out of sync with him and stuff like that. So I would say that it's it's good, like any Tarantino film generally is good, but it's not that Tarantino like next level of filmmaking that he does sometimes achieve. I hired you to be an actor, Rick. Blind. Embarrass yourself. Hey, you're at f***ing Dalton. As what a moment of appreciation of Brad Pitt, a man in his late fifties. This is what a film star Brad Pitt still is there's a scene in this movie in which he takes his shirt off and the whole audience audibly gasped yeah he yeah yep. like i mean <laughs> respect to him he, yep. he just he silenced the cinema <laughs> just by taking his shirt off yeah. and that that is no mean feat especially for a man of his age so apart from people who you know i think tarantino has a built-in audience anyway beyond that who do you think should see this film anyone of legal age to see it (laughs) (laughs) just because it's pretty violent. But I think um, a lot of older people that might have grown up in that era. Yeah, people who don't like traditional storytelling. This is something a bit esoteric on a historical event, but it's not so linear. There's a lot of parallel storylines going on at the same time. So you really have to, it's one of those films you have to really sit down and concentrate on. I think I had to really think about it as I was watching it. And I think this movie does something really clever, which is they leave you with a really explosive third act. And that's something that really sticks in people's minds. Oh, boy. And people talking about it. Yeah. Well, I see what you yeah. do in Tarantino. I see mm. it. Also, still in cinemas, Late Night. Is a comedy about working in a late night talk show and it's starring Emma Thompson. Danger Close, The Battle of Long Tan. An Australian film about the Vietnam War. Midsummer. Bunch of friends go to a what seems friendly cult in Sweden. Spoiler alert, it's not friendly. And Palm Beach. A star-studded Australian dramedy. Yes, to hear about both of those films, and in fact everything that's in cinemas right now, you can access that via our back catalogue, which you can get through whichever podcast app you like. I've lived a lot of lives as a lot of different dogs, and Ethan was always my purpose. Go! Until I met his granddaughter, CJ. Hmm, there's nothing in that cup. Now I had a new purpose, to protect CJ no matter what. Somewhere in the world, there might actually be someone looking out for me. Where did you come from? There's a lot you don't know about that dog. 
The 2017 hit film A Dog's Purpose is essentially the American film industry in a nutshell. It's schmaltzy, it wears its heart on its sleeve, and it's designed from the ground up to appeal to the most amount of people possible. While it didn't garner love from the critics, it did manage to spend $22 million into $200 million. And a sequel, this week's A Dog's Purpose, was always on the cards. So you think the series would really be about cows the way they're milking it? Do you think this film will be any better than its predecessor? So um, A Dog's Purpose is about um, the story of a single dog spirit being reincarnated as multiple canines over the course of five decades. Oh, that classic story. Yes, yes, you know. Um, (laughs) And um, I'm not too sure about this one. I did see the original A Dog's Purpose. Yeah, they've yet to screen A Dog's Journey. Um, Not that that necessarily means anything in particular, but I don't think it's something that you need the critics to see, if that makes sense. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. I am working at gold class. Obviously I see the posters a lot and I saw the one for, I think it's a dog's journey is the new one's name. Yeah. I was like, haven't they already made that movie? (laughs) Yeah. So that's my thoughts on it really. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they made the hangover three times. Yes, yes, yes. And not to be confused with A Dog's Way Home, which we did a little while ago. Yeah. That's what's fascinating about this zeitgeist in Hollywood right now of dog movies which they were big in the mid-90s. Yeah, Beverly and, Hills Chihuahua. Yeah, and now they're coming back to the point where it's like a confusing, like you need to specify which dog movie you're talking <laughs> about because there's a dog's purpose, a dog's way home, and now a dog's journey, to one of which is a sequel to the other, the third of which is by the author of the first. So there's a really confusing... It's but like they're a not Marvel connected. timeline yeah. <laughs> for dog yeah. movies. But more confusing somehow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this author really loves dogs. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's fair to say that the film itself is... It's aiming at a family audience and it's very Americana. There's people in golden wheat fields with their best dog in a flannelette shirt. That classic like American farmer image is what they're going for. I, I'm always interested in how it translates to like this country where that isn't so much the, like that we're more, you know, the farmer on the Australian farmland and the farmer on the American farmland are kind of different. One looks like Smallville and, you know, Clark Kent's dad. And the other one looks like an Australian farmer. And it's so American that I find it a little off-putting because it's not ironic either. Like it's, mm. it's straight down the line. So I always kind of struggle kind of swallowing that pill. Things don't always turn out as we plan, but sometimes the surprises are the best part. Like a drum, baby, don't stop beating. There's lots you don't know about that dog. Like a drum, my heart never stops beating for you. all the answers but i know we end up where we're meant to be like a drum my heart never stops beating for you how many times do we need to see this dog die <laughs> well that's like, the do, thing. how like, really how many times do we it's need to it's see? like it's like kind of sadistic isn't it yeah. <laughs> it's like you love that dog it's gonna die six how many times. times can you deal with it yeah yeah, yeah that website that it shows you which movies the dog dies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it, Blowing it, up with this, this one. This movie would break that website. <laughs> and it, I, this is what I think happened. Marley and Me was a pretty big success when that came out. Yeah. And the scene that everyone, spoiler alert for Marley and Me, mm. the scene that everyone always talked about was the scene at the end where the dog dies. Mm. And some producers like, you know what? Do a whole film with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put six of them in a film. I'm going to put ten of them in a film. You can't stop me. It's going to be ten Marley and Me's. Aww. 
Does the dog go, become other breeds of dogs or is he always the yes, same breed? Yes, yes, he does. Interesting. I think it's a he, yes. And it's always the voice of Josh Gad, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Who people might know as Olaf from yeah. Frozen. Not the he's got he's got an interesting voice. <laughs> I love his voice. Oh, really? He's yeah. a good voice actor. <laughs> yeah. Um see I find, I find him a little bit grating. Um I, I, I saw him back when he was in the Book of Mormon and that works because his character is so grating in that. But he's supposed to be quite lovable and affable. And my hatred of Josh Gad, I, I'm thinking I'm going to need to kind Aww. of pat it down a little bit. <laughs> it may, you know, if, I, if I'm to watch this movie, I need to largely ignore that it's the voice of Josh Gad. So obviously, you know, a bunch of 20 and 30-somethings, uh, maybe this isn't the film for us, but who do you think should see this film? Well, in saying that and, you know, joking about this film, I did tear up in A Dog's Way Home. So I do like dog movies. I would probably go take friends and family to see this one. Yeah, definitely. The younger family demographic, for sure. Now, for your chance to win a Gold Class Double Pass, simply head to the Village Cinema's Facebook or Instagram page, look for the Cinema Crew post and answer the question. What is your favourite Quentin Tarantino film? You only have nine to choose from. I think this one's going to start some fights in the comments. Mm -hmm. If anyone says death proof, I'm going to fight them. (laughs) Simply leave your comment with hashtag the Cinema Crew for your chance to win. Next week, Jared Butler has somehow made three films about saving the president in Angel Has Fallen and the revealing documentary about Adam Good's The Australian Dream. Until next time, thank you, Vari. Thank you. Thank you, Maddie. No problem. My name is Cambo and this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.